exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. God, give us peace, which is to say, make us into instruments of peace so that this whole world may become a temple of peace. Amen. And please be seated. This morning, I'm going to introduce a six-week sermon series titled, Reimagining a Community of Peace. We won't actually tackle six weeks in a row. The plan is to reimagine a community of peace for the next three weeks, at which point we're going to break from this series as we enter into the seasons of Advent and then Christmas. But then over the course of this next year, we're going to return to this series three more times on three particular feast days. The Epiphany of Our Lord in January, Transfiguration Sunday in February, and then finally, this series will conclude on Trinity Sunday in June. And here's our thinking behind this, uh, this spreading out this series over the course of the next year. The notion of peace is so important throughout Scripture that we thought we want to keep coming back to it over and over and over again as a community. And the feast days that we've chosen to talk about peace feel especially fitting, which I'll explain further in just a bit. But first I want to talk about peace. Peace is an important topic. In fact, peace is quite possibly the primary topic that we find in all of the scriptures. It's absolutely everywhere. In Genesis chapter 15, we see the first use of the word peace. When God tells Abraham that one day he is going to die, and when he dies, he will die in peace. Raise your hand if you have a preference to die in peace. (laughs) Yeah, we all want to, of course. Who would not want to die in peace? Now, Now, that could mean all kinds of things, I'm guessing. It could refer to a peaceful experience of dying. I also think it could mean an emotionally peaceful death in which there is no fear or worry or even regret. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think it could also mean relationally peaceful dying in which all is well with those that we have relationship with. But you see, it's more than just peace in death. In Genesis chapter 26, Isaac and Abimelech have been having some trouble and they need to part, but, but peace is so important to them that they're intentional in their commitment to departing one another in peace. It's a relational peace that they desire. Anyone here appreciate relational peace? Yes, of course. But it's more than just relational peace or peace in death. In Genesis 28, Jacob tells God that if he's able to return home in peace one day, he says, Yahweh, you will be my God. It's kind of a funny thing that Jacob's doing here. He's trying to make a God deal. God, things at home aren't great right now. I'm going to go away for a while. And when I return, if everything can be better, if everything can be at peace, then I will surely know that you are God and you will become my God and I will worship you for the rest of my life. 
But I don't think it's just Jacob, is it? I mean, have you ever left a home in less than ideal circumstances that have been so bad that you've hoped for, prayed for, maybe even bargained with God for? God, please make things better at home. God, if, if things can be made better than I will, right, fill in the blank. Trust you. I love you. Pray more. Tithe more. Go to church more. I mean, what, whatever the deal is, I think many of us have prayed Jacob prayers for peace in our home lives before. I remember as a little child, I had a big uh, football toy box, and it had all of my toys in it, and it had a couple holes in it. So if you were to, say, dump out all of your toys and crawl into the box and pull the top over, then you could spy outside of the football. And my dad did this really evil thing, which was if I dumped out all of my toys and crawled in and screamed dad loud enough until he finally came into my bedroom, he would pick the toy box up, which became my flying saucer. And he would take me out of the room and he would fly me all around the house and around the dining room table and through the family room and into the living room, which was like the holy of holies that we could not enter into. I could fly through it. And we'd go back down the hall and into my room and he'd set me down and I'd pop out and he'd say, now, before you come out of the room, pick up all of your toys. And I knew that my dad wanted all the toys picked up, which meant that I wanted all the toys picked up because I really wanted to come out of the room, which meant that God really wanted all of the toys picked up. And so I would pray. I'd close my eyes. God, I'm going to count to 10. And when I open my eyes, I'd love all the toys to be back in my box. <laughs> and when they're back in my box, I will know that you are God and I will worship you forever. And count and count, it would happen, but the box would never be full of toys. I would be stuck in my room filling that thing up. But looking back, that was my childhood Jacob prayer for peace. Peace in my home, peace with my dad, peace so that I could come out of my room. I think when we experience the absence of peace, we want to do all kinds of things to try and bring about peace. Man, and if God can answer a prayer and perform a miracle and create some peace in our lives, well then, of course, we would pay more attention to the divine. But you see, peace is much more than personal and relational and, and even peace in death. The psalmists are crying out for peace among the nations. Anyone here appreciate international peace? Oh my goodness. Or how about peace with creation? To use a contemporary term, how about climate change? Is anyone here concerned about climate change? Yes. When the ash falls or the waters rise or the wind howls, have you ever prayed something like, oh God, help us all? That is a prayer for peace. You see, I don't think it's just Abraham or Jacob or Isaac or the psalmists from millennia ago that desire peace in the world. I think that almost every human in this world desires peace. A peaceful death peaceful relationships, a peaceful home, peace among the nations, and peace with this creation within which we all live. I think deep down that is one of our deepest desires as human beings, which means that it's no surprise that we see this desire expressed again and again over and over throughout all of the scriptures. And, and here's the really good news this kind of peace, it's, it's not just the dream of humanity, it is also very much the dream of divinity. Throughout the scriptures, we see God over and over again care about peace in its many forms. In fact, the scriptures tell a story, it begins with God placing two people in a garden, instructing them to multiply, to steward the creation, and to cultivate the land. And as we progress from Genesis to the book of Revelation, to the very end, at the very end, these two have multiplied into a throng of humanity and all of creation, which began back in this garden, 
has been cultivated into a heavenly kingdom marked by peace. It is a world in full bloom. And this makes me want to ask how. How do we get there? How? How do we get from a garden to a world full of people and filled with peace? Well, according to the scriptures, this peace of God is mediated through a Messiah promised to the world in an ancient poem found in Isaiah chapter 9, which reads, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's beautiful, isn't it? Prince of Peace. In the Christian tradition, this Prince of Peace is, of course, Jesus. Jesus, who proclaimed good news, freedom for those in bondage. Jesus, who proclaimed good news, healing for the sick. Jesus, who proclaimed good news, release for the oppressed. Jesus, who proclaimed good news, the favor of God on everyone and everything. In following this proclamation of good news, our Prince of Peace revealed God's loving kindness, not just with more words, but with actual deeds. Deeds that truly freed those in bondage and healed the sick and released the oppressed and provided divine favor, even proved divine favor upon every person, especially those marginalized upon which favor was rarely given. I mean, that's what the Gospels are all about. The Gospels depict a Prince of Peace who is not only proclaiming but enacting the peace that both we and the divine long for with his very own life. And when that peace became too big, too good, too for everyone, especially in his day, the least of these, and when the religious and political leaders, that is to say, when those who had all of the power felt upset by Jesus' peace for every person, and when those very religious and political leaders decided to use violence to kill Jesus, well, it's then that rather than picking up a sword and fighting that he chose to break and bleed. And this is the climactic point in our sacred story, which is to say he declared with his very own life, violence, violence cannot enact peace. Violence can never enact peace. More violence only produces more violence. At some point, violence must be put asunder. And so Jesus declares with his own life, let the peace that we all desire begin with me. Oh, and that peace, Jesus Peace. I mean, as much as religious and political leaders may try to kill it and to keep it asunder, Jesus' way of peace just continues to rise again and again and again. In fact, in fact, perhaps we could say that every peaceful death is, in fact, a womb that's giving birth to new life in this world. You see, the scriptures tell us that Jesus' body is made present here and now among his students of love. Students of love, the actual body of Christ in this world, fashioning the whole thing into a temple in which humankind wonderfully sings hallelujah, hallelujah. And so we read in the last chapter of our sacred text, Revelation chapter 22, these incredible words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. 
They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Oh, that is a beautiful dream, is it not? But you see, there are many obstacles to peace, which is what we heard about in this morning's readings. In the Isaiah reading, we heard about the king of Babylon who unnecessarily oppressed not just Israel, but the majority of his known world. And in biblical literature, Babylon becomes a metaphor for great wickedness on this earth, which is why in this morning's Revelation reading, we heard these words. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. It had great authority. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit a haunt of every foul and hateful bird, of every hateful beast. For the nations have drunk the wine of her wrath of fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins, and so that you do not share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities." This is incredible apocalyptic literature that's making a very clear point, which is there is a way of being in this world that is a curse in the world. There is a way of being in this world that curses every person in this world. And according to this reading, it is a foul way of being. It's a hateful way of being. It's a wrathful, economical, powerful way of being in which many suffer while very few thrive on earth. And according to this reading, all the while, all the while, this, dis this discrepancy, this disparity is continuing to grow. All the while, this reading tells us that there's a voice from heaven declaring, come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins, so that you do not share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. Which is to evocatively imagine a reality in which every moment Every moment that we observe in which peace lacks, this apocalyptic text seems to say that there is simultaneously a voice from heaven declaring, come out of this chaos, my people. And this makes me wonder if we can hear the voice today. Like when an immigrant drowns in a river with the dream of a better life, can we hear that voice? Or when sick people choose to avoid the hospital because they're afraid of the bill, can we hear the voice? Or when women are told, you're less than a man, or when women make less than men, or when women have choice taken away, most often by men who are making rules for women, can we hear the voice? Or when economy usurps basic human rights and decency, can we hear the voice? Like, what if there is a voice in every moment where peace lacks? What if there is a voice inviting humankind, come out of this chaos? Or when people with a different sexuality than the majority are told that they cannot be who they are, can we hear the voice? Or when it's 95 degrees in Portland in April, can we hear the voice? <laughs> or when black and brown human beings represent 28% of the United States population, but 56% of the prison population, can we hear the voice? Come out of her, my people. I dream of a world at peace. Do you hold the dream of peace in your heart as well? Come, Jesus says. Come and follow after me. Before concluding, I'd like to take a moment for a loving kindness practice. 
that can help us to not just hear the voice, but I think give us a practical way of moving toward peace in the midst of peace's absence. Now, of course, there are bigger fish to fry and much work to be done in order to nurture this kind of cosmic shalom in the world. And yet, I find mindfulness practices helpful in grounding my heart, right? Like grounding my mind, grounding me in an awareness of the kind of person that I desire to be. And so just for a moment, I'd like to invite you into a loving kindness practice that intends to invoke gratitude and compassion and forgiveness, which, which is to maybe even say peace. And perhaps in, in the moments where peace is lacking, perhaps this is something very simple that we could just take a couple minutes to do to ground ourselves, to center ourselves, and to take a small step forward into the peace that we desire to enact in this world. Okay, so just for a moment, if you will, uh, close your eyes, get settled in your comfy plastic blue chair that will outlast us all. <laughs> Feel your feet. <laughs> Feel your feet settled on the floor. You are connected to the whole thing. Just feel yourself for a moment. Take a couple deep breaths. You are very much alive. And in this place of groundedness, will you imagine a person that you know that is, that represents to you unconditional love? I don't know who it is parent, a friend, a stranger. Just for a moment, just hold that person in your heart that represents to you unconditional love. Can you see them? Maybe you can feel their embrace or, or hear in your mind words that they have spoken to you. I'm convinced that that person's unconditional love causes your heart to swell just a little bit. And as your heart swells, just for a moment, as your heart is just growing because of this love, can, can you in your heart say to this person that's loved you so much, may you be well. May you have love. May you find peace in this life. Now think of a person or a situation that is sick, that is hurting, that is troubled. And, and, and hold that sick person or that troubled situation, hold that in your heart. With all of that love that you feel for that person who's represented unconditional love to you can, you, can you imagine speaking, giving your love to that person in need or to that situation in need? May you be well. May you have peace. May you find love in this life. And finally, and this is the real work, think of a person you felt hurt by or betrayed by. Can you hold them in your heart? And with that same generous love that you gave to your friend or that you gave to that hurting person or situation, can you say to that person, the hurtful person, may you be well. May you have love. May you find peace in this life.
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for joining me in that practice. In conclusion, we're beginning a new sermon series titled Reimagining a Community of Peace. The series will intentionally ask how. How do we help move the world forward toward the peace of God? And it will address obstacles that hinder movement toward a world in full bloom. For example, next Sunday, we're going to consider an obstacle named consumerism, which I think will be really good for us to consider as we head into uh, the holiday season. And then the following Sunday, on the last day of the church calendar, also known as Christ the King Sunday, which has often become colonialism and imperialism in Jesus' name, we're going to consider an obstacle named imperialism. And then in January, on another feast day, the epiphany of our Lord, when we celebrate that the light is not just for the Jews, but for all people, we're going to consider an obstacle named white supremacy. And then in February, on another feast day, Transfiguration Sunday, which depicts the splendor of Jesus, we're going to consider an obstacle named perfectionism. Oh, which just gets us all tied up into knots. Until finally on Trinity Sunday, this relational divine dance into which we are all invited will consider an obstacle named individualism. And yet to be clear, rather than focusing on obstacles alone, this series will seek to elevate ways of being in this world that help to tangibly nurture a community of peace into which Christ is inviting every person. May it be so, and let us pray. God, I pray and ask that you would give us peace, which is to say, make us into instruments of peace so that this whole world may become a temple of peace. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Thank you.